Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you all. And I really, really thank Kara for that extraordinary introduction. And I really want to thank Kenny and Nina for creating this sacred space for all of us to keep learning about how to live together in a sustainable way. I really did start at Bioneers as a volunteer, folding chairs with JP 18 years ago. So this is my first Bioneers. Um, I mean, this is my 18th Bioneers, and it's been an extraordinary adventure. And I'm so happy you're all here to join this adventure of Bioneers. I want to now greet everyone um, in uh, some of the native languages I've been blessed to learn. Buju, Anin. Tanshi, I greet you in the native languages of my ancestors, the Ojibwe and the Cree. I also say, Opon Towish, Noson. I greet you in the native languages of the local coastal Miwok and Ohlone peoples. I also say, Yata'e, a greeting to all the uh, Navajo people who have come here from the Colorado Plateau to share with us their incredible knowledge and wisdom of living in the desert region. And I say aloha and kiora uh, to our Hawaiian and our Maori brothers and sisters who came here all across the Pacific Ocean um, to share their incredible teachings and knowledge about canoes and about water and about keeping their islands safe and healthy in these changing times. So I want to greet everybody and hello to all of you. It's truly an honor to be here today and speak before you. And again, I want to thank Kenya Nina, the Board of Bioneers, uh, JP, who's kind of works behind the scenes, many of the staff for making this special space possible. Yes. <laughs> I stand before you as a mixed-race person. I am uh, Ojibwe, also known as Anishinaabe and Chippewa. I am Cree. I am Métis, uh, a mixed-race person. Uh, and so I stand with you with those ancestors in my being. I am also Norwegian, and I'm also French. So I stand in front of you with those ancestors in my being. So I'm Native American and Euro-American. And a lot of my work has been really dedicated to reconciling the differences between these worldviews and these ways of living. Uh, there's the, we're the colonizers and the colonized. So within my being, I have the colonizer and the colonized. And so personally, I've been working that out. I've been working that out professionally and working with native communities. And ultimately, I think we all need to restore our indigeneity because we're not going to get through this alone, and we're not going to get through this without deeply honoring Mother Earth in a profoundly different way than our dominant society has been doing. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about um, someone who's really important to um, Ojibwe people. His name is Nana Buju. He's our trickster character. He is a edge walker. Uh, he is uh, both sacred and profane. Uh, he is foolish and wise. He's our comic relief uh, and a really, really interesting character. 
There we go. Some of you may recognize this beautiful image of him by Ojibwe artist Rabbit Strickland that graced the cover of the original instructions book, which I was honored to edit uh, with Bioneers. And here you'll see the original image it comes from. And Nana Buju is a trickster transformer. In this character, he's depicted part rabbit. <laughs> so he can change his shape. One of his names is He Who Walks the Shoreline. He Who Walks the Shoreline Forever. So for us, he is a reminder that as Anishinaabe people and perhaps other people, we are always balancing between solid earth and a liquid medium. We're always between stability and insecurity. We are both rooted and flowing. And so we are also on the edge of consciousness and unconscious, waking and dreaming. So he reminds us that we have all of these different elements involved. And as an edge walker, as a tide walker, I think it's very important that we have a healthy respect for those things that are unknown and perhaps unknowable. And unfortunately, our Western dominant society is completely uh, focused on knowing everything, right? We have to know, we must know. Knowledge is great, knowledge is power, but knowledge can also be very, very dangerous, especially when it's not used ethically or wisely. Out on the edge, uh, Nana Buju reminds us what Kurt Vonnegut says, that out on the edge, you can see all kinds of things that you cannot see from the center. And Native peoples who have often been marginalized remember and know this. Nana Buju walking the shoreline between land and water, between waking and dreaming. It is a common understanding in native sciences and in the field of ecology that out on these edges, on these ecotones, are the places of highest biodiversity. At the confluence of fresh and salt waters, for example, we find amazing mixing zones in marshes that produce some of the most fecund places on Earth. So I am the result of a cultural mixing zone. I am a result of many cultures. Um, I am on the edge of native and European heritage. Many of us come from these backgrounds, yes? Yes, yes, and there's great strength in this. Um, we come from our DNA and what John Trudell likes to affectionately say, our descendants and our ancestors these strands of spiraling heritage that give us our roots and the threads to our future. So it is important to re-examine the waters that we come from, for they give us great strength and they root us to our places. This mix is formed in the waters of our ancestry, the liquids, the blood of Mother Earth that flows through all peoples. So from whose waters do we descend from? From whose watersheds do you descend from? It's important to re-examine these waters for they give us much, much strength. And I feel that revitalizing indigeneity really means that we have to reclaim the personal and ecological watersheds that we come from as part of our eco-cultural identity and part of our responsibility to Mother Earth. 
Put another way, Tongan storyteller and elder Emil Wolfgram often asks me this question. Are you worthy of the conspiracy of your ancestors? <laughs> Are you worthy of the conspiracy of your ancestors? It is a very good question. Uh, put another way, um, what did our grandmothers and grandfathers dream up for us today? What were the dreams that they had for us today, and are we living them? And now thinking of the future, a related question would be, how do we become good elders? How do we become good ancestors? I think that's something we all need to think about in creating a viable future for all of humanity. Like Nanabuju, like Coyote, many of us walk this tideline, walk this edge, especially many urban mixed-blood people, trying to revitalize a sense of being indigenous in a postmodern urban context. We're navigating the ecotones of Western science and traditional knowledge, urban and rural, on and off reservation, English language and native tongues, 21st century technology and traditional ecological knowledge, logic and intuition, as we walk this tideline, we must remember that there is a deeper story living in the lands and in the waters, and native energy is actually always present. As many cultures have shared, the land has eyes, and it sees everything. And as many of my California Indian relatives say, we are still here, and we are back from extinction, and we are not going away, and we are revitalizing our indigeneity in urban landscapes. <laughs> Walking this tideline means we have to have a healthy respect and appreciation for dreams, for transformation, for the unknown, for the unknowable. Remember, even modern physics is telling us that 95% of the universe is what? dark matter, dark energy. They don't even know what it is. So the best of our Western science is telling us we don't know what 95% of the universe is. So it's really almost another way of saying what our Ojibwe um, people say is Kichimanado, the great mystery, right? The great mystery. And we must learn to honor and respect this great mystery with inquiry, with looking, with examination, but in a, in a way that does not harm it, in a way that sees it as a relative to learn from, not as a thing to exploit. In revitalizing my own indigeneity, I have had to learn how to sit with not knowing many of my traditions because they were ripped away from my ancestors, brutally through colonization, through stolen children, through many, many things that really uh, took away and, and damaged those traditions. So I've had to sit with not knowing and yet sitting with the thirst to know. And so I've learned from my elders to view, this with profound, to view this profound mystery with great awe and with great patience. So I invite all of you to walk on this cultural edge with me, to seek balance as the spirals on our feet resonate with the spirals of Mother Earth, 
to reawaken our indigenous spirits to help us get us through this next period in history. To truly honor the sacred in America today, I believe we need to relearn this mystery. We can remember how to walk the shoreline of resilience to create a more balanced and harmonious society, where edges are seen not as conflicts, but as gifts. There are places of convergence, not problems. There are places of collaboration, not war. There are places of reciprocity, not division. There are places of healing, not decay. The native peoples of this land here have walked on the shoreline, the mighty Pacific Ocean, the beautiful bay we call the San Francisco Bay, for well over 10,000 years, probably more like 30,000 years. And they think they have been here since time immemorial from their creation stories. I want to take you back now a couple hundred years to this place, probably right here on this little watershed and marshland, uh, to when the coastal Miwok folks had villages all over this place. Uh, even by the standards of a thousand years ago, the Bay Area was an urban center. It was a great urban center. Uh, the coastal Miwok and Ohlone bands had really rich and diverse communities all over this area. They knew that they had to live in deep reciprocity with the land, and that land and culture were intimately entwined. They were braided together. Coastal Miwok and Ohlone ancestors lived in villages all over, and not far from here, down in the area we call Mill Valley, was the village of Guaymas, where Chief Marin, or the leader Marin, namesake of this county in this center, lived and thrived with his families and wives and children and his uh, tule huts and his redwood homes, um, out with his canoes, uh, eating uh, deer meat and abalone and seaweed, gathering pine nuts, gathering uh, all kinds of the fruits of the land. So much rich intertidal uh, life to, to enjoy and be a part of. And just for those of you who don't know Coastal Miwok Territory, this is where we're at. And I'm very, very blessed to have had Joanne Campbell here to welcome us and honor us in a good way on her lands. And you could see that they covered this whole Marin and Southern uh, Sonoma County areas. And everywhere you go, you will find villages. Just south of us in San Francisco, the more populated urbanized areas, we find Ohlone territory. California was and continues to be one of the most biologically and culturally diverse areas in the world. And the Ohlone and coastal Miwok people knew how to honor and work and adapt and mimic that diversity in a very, very reciprocal way. There were over 100 languages spoken here. Incredible. Um, over 500 village nations in this area. And sadly today, those numbers have diminished dramatically. But as the Ohlone and the Coast Miwok and many California Indians say, they are still here and they are not extinct uh, and they are continuing to grow, which is really fabulous. This fluid, dynamic, adaptive, and resilient lifestyle was invaded and violently ruptured 519 years ago. 
The juggernaut of imperialism started first with Christopher Columbus, Junipero Serra here, James Cook in the Pacific, and unfortunately, too many others that I will not name. The indigenous land-based, small-scale, and resilient lifeways were dramatically and violently altered. According to the Lenny Lenape scholar Jack Forbes, one of my great teachers, um, when Columbus came to this land, he brought a powerful disease. Yes, smallpox, yes, measles, many of those, but an even greater disease, that of taking power and consuming life to the point of becoming a cannibal. He outlines this in his book, Columbus and Other Cannibals. Using a traditional warning story from his own oral literature, he named this the Wetico Psychosis, after the cannibal monster that thoughtlessly, greedily, and destructively eats up other life forms. Forbes states, the exploitive consumption of the earth, of living creatures on the earth, and above all, of other human beings and their homelands constitute actual, real, unmitigated cannibalism. Tom Hartman refers to this briefly in Tom Shadyak's great film, I Am. Those who are infected do not see life in undivided wholeness, but see life as fragments, cannibalizing relatives to try to satisfy an insatiable appetite. We see this today as Cree and Denny relatives fight the Tar Sands Project in Canada and the Indigenous Environmental Network and many, many other activists work to oppose the Keystone XL pipeline. We see this as the Colorado River tribes protest uranium mining in their sacred Grand Canyon. We see this as local California Indian tribes stop the desecration of their ancient village sites for shopping malls and freeways. Today, we euphemistically call this all progress, economic globalization, business as usual, but it's not usual. It's a very modern, recent aberration, and it really needs to be changed at its core, at its root, in our collective psyches, all the way down to our political structures. And we need everyone to do this. We need all of you. Upstream, in the headwaters, as water wizard Brock Dolman likes to say, we need to restory our ecosystems. <laughs> and that is a critical first step. We must learn how to re-indigenize ourselves and revitalize a worldview that, as Winona LaDuke says, is not based on conquest. A worldview that understands indigeneity is a paradigm of regeneration. A worldview that has many diverse expressions based on the distinct land bases and cultures and waterscapes that they emerge from, but a worldview rooted in enduring values in what we call our original instructions, common themes of reciprocity, of gratitude, of responsibility, of generosity, of forgiveness, of humility, of courage, of sacrifice, and of course, love. But these values are not just words. 
We need to live them. We need to dutifully follow them in integrated actions every day as if our life depended on them. Because you know what? They do. <laughs> Individually, we must build our resistance and our immunity to consumer capitalism, to this Wetiko disease. Practicing our original instructions as Native peoples is key. It's our moral compass that keeps us in line. Eating natural, whole, organic native foods helps keep our bodies strong and healthy. Learning the languages of our ancestors keeps our voices strong so that we can speak out when we see injustice. Getting to know our local habitats and neighborhoods keeps our communities strong. Learning about and supporting the traditional ecological knowledge of local native communities gives us greater understanding of how to be native to place and how be, to become good place makers. All of this strengthens our integrity as human beings and provides more tools for resilience. So re-indigenization means remembering and living these original instructions, regardless of what culture we come from. We all have earth-based worldviews and practices in our heritage, if we go back far enough, in our DNA. Let's find them, let's remember them, and let's practice them within the complexities of this modern life. As the late Western Shoshone spiritual teacher Corbin Harney used to say, the nature way of life is the only way we are going to survive. The millions of indigenous communities who are still living their nature way of life are safeguarding their homelands and sacred places. They must be supported in their efforts to keep the world in balance and to protect the hearts of their universes. These are the Yurok and the Hoopa in the, up on the Klamath River. These are the Lakota in the Black Hills. These are the Kohuya in the mountains in the uh, Mojave Desert. These are the Navajo and the Hopi on the Colorado Plateau. These are the Gwich'in in the Arctic Village. I could go on and on with this incredible list of indigenous peoples holding on to their traditions. And they need our support. Uh, they need to, ha to have good allies. They are facing outrageous threats and challenges. And others of us have even been more relocated, assimilated, allotted, traumatized, urbanized, and erased. We too, as mixed urban people, are relearning the native ways in, in urban contexts. We are creating native gardens in old military bases. We are learning indigenous languages in city centers. We are gleaning and gathering tule and berries in city parks and we are speaking up in council meetings to protect ancient village sites. Many of us, native and non-native alike, are also re-examining our relationship to place and occupation. So, for example, we must decolonize Wall Street. <laughs> And this occupation movement is very exciting. It has great, great um, traction. It's a democratic process. It has amazing um, potential. But truly, um, it will not succeed unless the root of occupation and colonization of Native America is more deeply understood and something is done about it. 
There needs to be truth-telling, there needs to be acknowledgement, there needs to be apology, and there needs to be reparations. The doctrine of discovery must be repealed as Chief Oren Lyons and many others are actively working on with the Vatican. And the doctrine of recovery and condolence must be activated. We are done with the Occupy movement that is based on conquest and taking. Today, if we talk about occupying, let's do it in a reciprocal way in a way that we give to the land, we give to the waters, like we, are, we give our prayers. Uh, like yesterday, we had an incredible sunrise ceremony. Hopefully, some of you joined us. And we gave to the lake. We fed the lake with our songs, our prayers, and our sacred tobacco. It's time that we start giving back to the land instead of taking. And to spiritually occupy the land means we have to take responsibility for it. It means we need to honor it, almost like getting married or having children. It is a long-term commitment to occupy spiritually a specific homeland in your neighborhood. And we re must, must remember that there are always original caretakers to place. So this needs to be done with great care and great respect in partnership with local native communities, like the o Oakland occupiers are working with Ohlone people, which is the perfect way to begin this occupation or this decolonization of our lands. The nature way of life is really about respecting and indigenous peoples in supporting the renewal of indigeneity for all of us. Whether practicing eco-literacy, biomimicry, holistic health, green design, all you great pioneers out there, just remember that whatever you're doing on the land, you're living in spiritually occupied territories. We are walking on somebody's ancestors. So our actions require clear thinking, pure intention, and profound reverence. I now just briefly want to tell you about an exciting project that is trying to address these issues um, on a practical level, all focusing on tribal canoes, tribal waka. You saw one yesterday in the lagoon brought down by the Hoopa uh, and Yurok people, and we are working with Maori folks, many artists who are, have created this beautiful stage art, um, Tongan uh, and Maori people from Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so we are focusing on the canoe as a sacred vessel for holding our original instructions so that we really can understand the differences between our needs and our wants. What would you put in a canoe to survive for one week? A sail. Say what? A sail. A sail, absolutely. What else? Water. Water. Excellent. Other things? Seeds, we definitely need seeds. Friends, you got it, we got it. We need seeds, we need water, we need food, we need medicine, and we need our friends and family. That's really all we need. And so it's time that we recognize that, and the canoe is a sacred vessel that reminds us 
that we really need to walk that tide line between the fresh water and the salt water and the land, just as Nana Bujou reminds us to walk that tide line. And so through our canoe project, we are creating a World Tribe Canoe. And you're all welcome to paddle with us. We need to be rowing in different canoes based on our different backgrounds, but we need to be moving in the right direction. And that is a direction of sustainability and resilience so that we actually have a viable future. The future is very uncertain, but what we do know is that we are walking a very thin line right now with very limited choices. We either continue our current destructive course or we link together and strengthen our science with traditional ecological knowledge and our original instructions. Whatever the outcome, it is our duty and our privilege to work together to honor the mystery that life is presenting to us now with as much reverence, reciprocity, creativity, and compassion as possible. The red earth is singing. Our learning spirits are calling us to new knowledge. It's calling us right now, all of us, to understand a new way of living together. And it is the moment for building our capacity to work together as relatives in order that this world we love can gently give way to one even more beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to me. Chimigwech, Chimigwech. Thank you.